Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jordan Du. And today we actually have two special guests for you. We have Josh Rystad and Matt Keel from Detentions and Dragons. Now, these two guests are really special to me because I actually only found out about One Shot Onslaught, which started the whole Majestic Goose Network, from their podcast. So I'm really excited to have the two of you on today. Um, can you just go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us, you know, why you love D&D so much, why you're here? Uh, I'll, I'll start. My name is Josh Reisted. I'm a uh, middle school, uh, currently English teacher out from Minnesota. And uh, I love D&D and TTRPGs because uh, it just it's so imaginative and, you know, there's so much like opportunity and uh, potential you know, while playing the game, you kind of can just lose yourself in it. So yeah, that's, that's what I love. I like getting immersed in a, a good role-playing game. What about you, Matt? Well, my name is Matt Keel. I am also a teacher, but I teach at the high school level in Northern Minnesota. And I think like a lot of people, I personally got into D and D for the cash money to be made on podcasts <laughs> like, teaching, because, right? like teaching i mean you're just getting money hand over just, fist you man just like teaching you know they're talking about like how you get the summers off and you only work nine months a year for teaching and it's just like they're just kids just use the same lesson plan over <laughs> and over and again and the same thing in the same vein i guess as D. like i bought the DM's handbook, I bought the player's guide, and I just thought, man, I can monetize my gameplay so much with podcasts and the supplements that I've written. So yeah, I was drawn to D&D for the money. Not the camaraderie, not the ability to create these fantastic shared storylines together, but the cash. As, as you could probably tell, Matt's sarcasm runs rather high, so be warned. Well, I mean, I was just I was just about to say that I've actually got quite tired of turning away trucks of money because they just be- are so inconvenient um, just coming so regularly. Oh, I know. I mean, you have other hobbies that you care about and all you're dealing with is the truckloads of money. Where do I put the money? I it makes it, it so difficult bank. to count the money. It's so difficult. When you've got another truckload just arriving every six hours. It's ridiculous. And those counting machines don't work very well. They break down too no. easily. And that's why I had two guests this time. Like, I didn't want to only pay one guest. I wanted to pay two <laughs> guests for coming on the show. It's like Brewster's Millions. We just got to get rid of it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. so the two of you are from Detentions and Dragons. Some of our listeners may not have heard of that yet. Can you go ahead and tell them what Detentions and Dragons is all about? Definitely. So Detentions and Dragons is a podcast that is geared towards helping teachers, new dungeon masters, and maybe experienced dungeon masters, uh, giving them uh, tips and tricks and insights into running D&D in the classroom or running campaigns for new players or tips for being a new DM. So we try to cater to all sorts of uh, different clientele. Uh, clearly, by the name Detention of the Dragons, we are focused on bringing D&D into the classroom because if you've listened to our podcast, every once in a while we'll get on a story about how not only is D&D fun, but it's really important to so many of us. And I think that especially now with the resurgence of D&D through fifth edition, D&D is becoming this opportunity for students of all different backgrounds uh, to jump into this game and kind of express themselves and participate in this huge community. So we're really about 
providing some of our personal experiences, what we've learned to help facilitate D&D for everyone. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Now, I know we're a long way from your native town of New Trollsburg. However, today's topic is something that gets brought up on a lot of your episodes and on a lot of episodes of Dice Talk, even when it's not the topic we're focusing on. And that topic is uh, new players. How do you prepare a campaign or prepare a game for new players? And in fact, how do you convince new players to even want to play D&D? And then once you do, how do you not scare them away with the 400-page rulebook? Sure. Have you ever just bought the book for somebody and then give it to them? That's how I got Josh to play. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Uh, like absolutely true. That was how, like, I had never touched D&D, like, ever. I'd done some other like minor role-playing games, played a lot of video games and such like that, but never touched D&D at all. And all of a sudden, Matt's like, hey, I got this idea. Uh, I just bought y'all a Christmas gift. Here you go. And it's, it's a fifth edition handbook. And like, yeah, we're going to go play it. Oh, okay, sounds good. Read the book. Let's give it a go. And we've been like our our editor uh, campaign, Matt's been what? Five years, seven years that we've been playing with the same crew? I mean, it has been five to six years at this point in time. So basically. Mm-hmm. That first, like that first winter that fifth edition was available, we were playing some fifth edition D and D. So, but as far as like with kids, like I, you know, Matt runs uh, a D and D club after school, and um, I I do as well. But then I also run it in the classroom, and a lot of it is just letting kids know that it's out there, letting people know that it's out there. Um, you know, just letting know that there's it's available and that you're there to help them. And it's not as scary as it sounds. Like I had a lot of kids, like when I first started, they were like, oh, wow, D&D. Like my dad talks about playing that. My mom talks about playing that. It's all this math and this rules and these giant manuals of books and things. I'm like, mm, they updated it. The PDF it's, it's It's much more streamlined. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's, it's real nice. And uh yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. You should come check it out. And uh, up until COVID, I had 55 kids uh, meeting after school on Fridays uh, for D&D Club. And it was it was amazing. Wow, 55 is a lot. How do you so, manage something like that? I, I feel yeah. like we're jumping ahead, but I can't ignore that. How do you manage 55 people playing D&D? Uh, generally, in, in my case, it was I had a, a whole bunch of returning students uh, to D&D that I would like, hey, do you want to DM a game? Like, I will get you resources, we'll sit down, I'll help you plan stuff out, but I got way too many people wanting to play D&D, I need some help. And they're like, yeah, hey, I've always wanted to try to run a game, that's great. And so we had, we've had we had a lot of revolving uh, DMs, um, we have a DMs meeting, um, you know, every Wednesday, and yeah, it worked out really well up until we had to kind of break for this pandemic, and I've had a lot of kids email me like, hey, are we going to do this next next year, like, is that a thing? Like when everything goes back to normal, hopefully, and like, yeah, we're we're gonna run it. So, yeah. But uh, Matt, what about what about you? Any? Well, as normal, if you've listened to our podcast, Attentions and Dragons, Josh has veered off the critical path and gone on his own direction. <laughs> so I'll jump us back on to the critical path. So your question is basically entailing like, how do you get these new players to participate in the game? You know, succeed within their first session. Right. I mean, Josh obviously has access to like a convention center where he runs a D&D convention every week for 55 people. Well, and totally. That's <laughs> awesome that he does that. His D&D club is much larger than mine. 
is even during pandemic times, he's always had a bigger space, more students. He's the better DM. We get it. Everybody knows that. He's the fan favorite on the podcast. I'm just a curmudgeon-y one. But I think that, number one, when you like get your people there that you want to play, because let's talk about some tips for maybe people who don't have a classroom that they're going to introduce D&D to, but you are... You know, a person who heard about D&D from your friends, from podcasts, maybe some Twitch streams, and you want to get those people there. So number one, I'm not sure how you're going to get them there. I would say invite them over and tell them that you're going to lead, which is probably going to be the big thing. Because if you want to play D&D, the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to lead D&D. You don't get to be the player Mm -hmm. if you want to really, really play Dungeons and Dragons, unless you could like sneak your way into a different group. So once you get those people there... The first thing that I'm going to recommend is when you're playing that very first session of D&D, you have to get to the action as quickly as possible. And so I don't know how long you two have been playing and how many different campaigns you've participated in. Clearly, you have a D&D podcast, so you're very passionate about D&D. But one of the problems that I have experienced, not often, but enough times, is you get to that first session of D&D and it is a text dump. I'm hearing 45 pages of of narrative that the DM has spent hours on about the rules of this world and the heritage and the different geographical landmarks. And then we get into the introduction and each character is introduced and I'm hearing five more pages of just backstory about where they were before they entered into this tavern. And it's two and a half hours, three and a half hours later, if you didn't make character sheets beforehand until I've actually am in the game of D&D. So the number one thing that I recommend that you do as a DM is find the way to get into the action as quickly as possible. Because my philosophy is it's better to play D&D than it is to talk about D&D. And the best way to do that is get some battles, get some scenes going, do something that is very definitively D&D. And, w- and what Matt's not knocking the whole process of the zero oh, I session am. and things I like am. that. But like for us, we, well, he might be, but <laughs> the, I mean, because like that, some people really do like that. But for when you have uh, kids coming specifically younger players and you have like an hour maybe an hour and a half to get them in and going and they've just had a full day of school the last thing they want to do is read a a giant like text like you know dm's guide about how to make a character and things like that so like if you can cut things down by like having pre-printed like sheets and having all this stuff prepped and you're like hey you want to you want to stab something or you want to shoot something with magic i like to shoot something with magic you hand him a wizard here you go you got a wizard and you could you could get them in that way and kind of explain as you go. It generally you have a better chance of retaining the new players and they're interested because they actually get to like hands on experience it versus what did you do after school today? Well, I went to this classroom and somebody told me to read all the lore about like the weave and and why that's important to the magic of this pretend realm. I agree with what you're saying, but I don't think it's unique just to school children. <laughs> Just from once again, my- <laughs> Josh has veered off the critical path of your normal friend group no, that you're trying to extremely, introduce. But- extremely salient points, and um, they all apply, but they also apply to um, 
a bunch of guys in their 30s playing for the first time on a virtual bachelor party or a stag party, as we call them in the UK, um, which is my most recent experience of um, DMing for newbies. So for my brother-in-law's uh, batch, like virtual bachelor party, um, we played D&D, and majority of the people that came to play were completely new to, to role-playing at all. So I think, as, as Matt says, keeping it moving like a shack to stop, not allow sort of pauses or play, places for people to get bored are important. But also, as you say, they're not... In, there are a bunch of guys that never played it before. They're not interested in a 200-page law dump about how the weft and weave of magic works or etc. They just want to go, I am crunk, I have an axe, I hit things. <laughs> this is interesting because you recently just had this experience. So, like, what were some of the things that you saw in this stag party, in this bachelor party? What are some tips that you could also like add to some of the tips that we're going to talk about. As I say, keep keep it moving because unless, you know, they've expressed a specific interest in to hold my hand and take me through this mystical door through mm-hmm. how all the magic works. And I think most people within the world probably wouldn't know that information or be interested. You know, if you're a, you're a fighter, you're learn your trade is fighting you're probably not going to be too bothered about how xyz works and Mm -hmm. even if you are playing a wizard and you just want to go fireball goes bang again you're not necessarily interested in those and that's something that you might come to later but in the establishing it's important to sort of establish that um you've got permission to be silly i think is the, the biggest thing and i think that's a harder thing to overcome as an adult who's had no previous frame of reference for it, or perhaps has come into it from 20 years of being told D&D's a nerdy thing sure. where you mm-hmm. put a robe on and sit in a basement, you know? Um, it's, I think the first most important thing from my perspective was immediately showing myself up to be silly mm-hmm. and providing, you know, doing silly voices and setting the tone and saying, look, this is how I'm going to run the game. And it's not something you need to be shy about. Definitely. Um, and that's, that's kind of the biggest hurdle to overcome, I think. Well, and I think um, from for a, any, for any like a teacher perspective, one of the key principles behind being a good teacher is modeling behavior. So it could be mm-hmm. modeling just like classroom etiquette to how you use a microscope, that those types of things like that. So as a DM, you need to model the behavior that you want. So if you mm-hmm. want your players to be really into the role playing, then, you know, do that really bad accent, that silly voice. Just start immediately with like a bar fight or a scuffle, Absolutely. those types of things. And then they're like, then people start seeing like, oh, this is what D&D is like. And of course, mm-hmm. they're never mm-hmm. going to be experts after that first game. But you are beginning the, I guess, the process for them to become more and more advanced players. Yeah, you're providing confidence and as as like what we do like you're providing a safe yeah. space that they can explore how to play this game as well as like you know let themselves out there a little bit yeah. maybe as you were you were saying like as an adult it's very hard to be like oh i get to play pretend yeah absolutely especially if you've been told you know had it negatively reinforced that that's a bad thing yeah for sure like, you know, over the course of your adult life 
Now, did um, you make characters for them, Jerundu? How did you get them past that hurdle if um, they've never well, played before? We started in a group a, a group chat where it was sort of I, I was asked whether I would would do would do this thing because I'm the designated brother in law nerd. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, My sure. Yeah, a do, podcast will yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so I said, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then I sort of, again, the next point I was going to say is managing player expectations. Um, a lot of it, I think, comes down to that. So I said, what kind of things are you interested in and what kind of characters do you want to play? And then encourage them to get D&D Beyond accounts because it's just all there for them to do sure. through drop, mm-hmm. drop down boxes. Um, <clears throat> that's the beauty of D&D Beyond, it makes it so much easier for literally no cash investment to sort of set up as a player with a basic rule set. Um, so knowing that these guys were probably going to be quite casual players and there might not be too many sessions, it's like, here is the basic toolkit. If you've got any issues with that, I'm available. You, and we'll, look, we'll go through your character sheets uh, together. Mm-hmm. Um, for my brother-in-law, I had no idea what he was doing at all. And we're trying to sort of keep it a little bit secret for him. I just created a character for him. Sure. That's cool. And I think I think that really gets to this point where you can get so into character creation and the mechanics of the game. And for us who've been playing D&D for a long time, like, that's cool. Like, I love sitting down, going into the D&D character builder on D&D Beyond, mm-hmm. and figuring out which like combination of feats I can take and oh I'm going to take two different magic initiates and then I'm figuring out which cantrips I want and my like one level spell type things and you start creating all of these insane combos and silly characters and that type of thing like that but when you are brand new you just want to have fun playing D&D exactly and that first session like if you establish that that person wants to punch stuff Give them a fighter. If they want to catch, mm-hmm. cast a spell, make them a wizard. They want to be a ninja, just make them a rogue. It's so basic. And then if like they really, really want to come back session after session after session, and they want to like alter their character a little bit later in terms of personality or stats, then you just be like, yeah, we'll do that. It's D&D. It's all pretend anyways. Absolutely. But that first game, like, don't bog people down with stats. Just focus on what's fun, and that's like the combat and the action and the silliness. Sure. Uh, one of my players wanted to be a Catman, which was not available in the um, basic rule sure. set. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I just said, select Halfling, and we'll just use all those stuff yeah. instead. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the pro DM tip right there. Just roll with it. Oh, now you have a claw attack. There you go. Everything's good. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, the rule of cool is established for like a reason. Like, yeah, if, if it's cool and you're cool with it, yeah, do it. Yeah, exactly. It's no skin off my nose. And it functionally, he was cool with it. I was cool with it. Everything's fine. Um, so as I say, I think managing player expectations, finding out what kind of game they want to play. If they've got no idea about anything to do with character creation, it's just a case of being available to mm-hmm. guide them through that. It's your job as dungeon master to be the um the referee and yeah, the, umpire, totally the keeper of the rules and i think mm-hmm. while it is helpful for players to have a glance at player's handbook or just have a general idea how things work i think if you're confident enough it's not necessary um for you players to ever look at a rule book and for me i anticipate that people have not 
looked at the rule book. Because if you plan that they have, mm-hmm. you're going to find that X percentage do not. Yeah, you're going to be so disappointed. And then you're like, wait, you haven't even heard of a D20? And what are you going to do? Be mad at them because they don't know the rules for a game that maybe you invited them to play? So you just have to definitely anticipate. Um, and that's one of my also like kind of like looking at different tips for new players is as a DM, uh, we're talking, talking about being like referee and facilitator, uh, those types of things. Uh, I think it's really important to be able to translate actions into game mechanics. So for example, I might say, Josh, you're playing your rogue character and let's say you're like a new person and you say, give me, give me something that you want to do, but don't use game mechanics. Yeah. I want to backflip off the market stall and like kick the guy across the face. Okay. Well, it, to do that, I'm going to have you make an acrobatics check to see if you can successfully do the backflip. And then if you do that, let's do, uh, we'll roll a d20 and make an attack roll to see if you kick him in the face. So there you mm-hmm. did, like the person knew what they wanted to do. They just mm-hmm. may not have known the language to actually <laughs> do it within the game. So I think as the DM, a super pro tip is translate the thing that they want to do into game mechanics because a new person might not know how to do that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think not. this isn't D&D, but a particularly good example in a different game system would be in um, Monster of the Week. Um, the whole It's more narratively driven, so yep. it's mm-hmm. for the keeper then to interpret what the players want to do and decide whether or not a role is required in the first place rather than, I think if this can be some, a pet peeve for some uh, DMs too is players rolling because they expect to be asked to make a check, which obviously might not be a problem for new players, but uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of the opposite of intention. Sure. It shouldn't be a player initiated. It's up to the DM to sort of say, "Okay, this is what you what do you want to do?" and I'll decide. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Finding the balance that. between like role playing and role with two L's playing is is a is a very <laughs> like important thing to do. Yeah, like you're saying, the best thing you can do is just kind of jump into it and get your players into it. And then you as the DM, hopefully it's not your first time playing ever. If you as the DM, even though it was for me, but yeah, you as the DM, you can just like, like you said, translate it for them. So if they say, you know, you're like, well, what do you want to do? And they tell you what they want to do. You just tell them how that works in the game. They're not expected to have memorized all these rules. And they'll come to find out that experience, uh, a lot of people have had a lot of experience playing Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop games. We go 45 minutes without rolling a die sometimes. I mean, we'll just be in the game having fun. And that's the same way you can treat them on their very first adventure. Give them some little starter characters, maybe ask them some questions like, do you like magic? Do you like fighting? What kind of character do you imagine yourself as? And you can introduce them to the game without bogging them down with all these rules. Do you think this is, do you think the way that you would approach this is different if you were going to be introducing it to a classroom of children or to a group of adults or a group of people that, you know, aren't children? Like, would you say, okay, let's have a session zero and try to think of so you can all actually make characters and we'll help you build them? Or would you just say like, sorry, we don't have time for that. Here's like your three options. Pick one. Now, if you are playing with your friends and you know that you can spend some time outside of the game planning some characters, I would say make that sort of like your zero session type of thing. If you could come with a character sheet 90% made, that's cool with me. I think that is fine. I know that the last game 
that I started with my friends remotely um, because pandemic. I kind of worked with all of them individually to get an idea of what their characters are going to be like. Josh, I think you came up with your character basically almost entirely on your own. But I know a different friend of mine, we sat down and talked on the phone for over an hour about his character. Because all he had was a concept and he had no idea of what race his character should be, what class his character should be. He had like one defining moment within this character's backstory, and then we spent that time doing that, which was super awesome. I enjoyed that. But to do that when everybody's at the table or in the Zoom conference call, and now we're spending yeah. an hour to figure out what this backstory is, like, yeah. no, thank you. That's going to be boring for every everybody. So yeah, if you want a zero session, kind of like individually beforehand, I'm super down with that. Mm-hmm. But Josh, what do you think? I mean, there's a lot of variables that go into it. I mean, I've run a lot of different games over the last couple of years in the classroom because I, I have like a, a very skinny version of uh, D&D uh, that I call Havoc Quest. And I play with the kids and we do a whole thing on, you know, making a character and how do you do this? Because we work it into mm-hmm. a writing unit and things mm-hmm. like that. And it, it, it that turns out really well. Um, It's very structured, but we still like, here's your backstory and here's this and that. I have got hired at a game store that I worked at uh, basically to run one shots and there was no character creation. It's basically, what do you want to do? I want to stab <laughs> your people and take their stuff. Okay, here's a rogue. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, I want to blow stuff up with magic. Here's a wizard. Uh, You know, I like animals. Here's a druid. You know, and it basically is. Here you go. And kind of like what we were talking about, we're just going to we're going to jump into it. And if it's your first time, you're going to learn as we go along. But then again, I've had like I've had adults, you know, groups of adults. I, I, I got hired at a private party to go and do a and d game at this haunted mansion. And they actually sat down and were like, well, we, we kind of came up with this on our own. But can you take a look at it? And, you know, I, it's again, it's it's what kind of audience are you dealing with? And what's your time limit and what's everybody's comfort level? I mean, if they're all going to be sitting there as you're working with one person on a thing, I mean, that's, is everybody else going to be cool with that or not? You know, so uh, I guess you got to feel your audience out and judge the situation. And with that, we are going to just take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Space. The final front. Mayday alert. We are under attack. Oh, blarney. I kind of got to watch the tube for 10 seconds. Rerouting auxiliary power to abjuration shields. Someone get on those cannons. We've got company. Are you looking for a Dungeons and Dragons sci-fi fantasy space adventure? Then what you are looking for is Eclipse. Join our crew every other week as we struggle to keep the galaxy safe. With Dr. Shepard, the Illithid Cleric. Space pirates. That was wild. Ava Elkin, the human monk. If we play our cards right, we might not be totally screwed. Lita Nove, the ASMR bard. We should be arriving in Amaron in about two hours. Info O. Scott, the Warforged Artificer. Alright, I'm just gonna go ahead and fire the sonic cannon here. Kanan Vargas, the Tiefling Sorcerer. Does anybody else think this is like a super aggressive move? And I'm Jeremy Fair. I will be your dungeon master. Eclipse can be found on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere you like to get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Cameron. I'm Christian. I'm Dylan. And And we're we're Table Table Talk. Talk. 
Join us as we bring together longtime dungeon masters and players, YouTubers and podcasters, authors, and more. To chat about everything tabletop RPG related. Everything from play styles, world building and lexicon, game reviews, interviews with professional content creators, homebrew monsters and spells, lore, and even special holiday themed content. Keep those dice rolling. Hail Vecna! And we are back. So before the break, we were talking all about different ways to get new players interested in playing the game. And then once you've actually convinced them to join your Dungeons and Dragons cult, (laughs) you are going to have to ease them into it because they can't read the whole black book until later. (laughs) Otherwise, they're going to scare them away. But um, and I know you're, you're probably just trying to be polite, but I believe that, Matt, you actually have written something exactly for this sort of occasion. Can you go ahead and tell some of our listeners about this awesome DMs Guild product? All right. Oh, my gosh. Tug at my heartstrings because (laughs) I worked really, really hard on this. And I just think not enough people talk about it. But I have had a number of people purchase it, which the fact that anybody purchased this, honestly. He won't tell you the number, but it's a number. (laughs) It's a number. I'm going to tell you it's at least 20, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually makes me feel really, really good because there are thousands and thousands of things on the, uh, what do you call it? DMs, uh, DMs Guild. There's 20 more books it. than I've sold. So anyway, the product that I wrote, it is called Tutorial Dungeon because if you played RPGs, JRPGs, oftentimes there is some sort of like tutorial, introduction, dungeon scenario to teach the player how like the mechanics of the mm-hmm. game work. So kind of making me feel like it's going back to like Final Fantasy 2, you know, mm-hmm. Final Fantasy, well, I guess maybe like Final Fantasy 4, Final Fantasy 6 that type of thing like that. There's low stakes. It's almost impossible for your player character to be defeated and get a game over. So that is what my product was all kind of inspired by. So it is a tutorial dungeon and it is set up to introduce the mechanics of the game in a very, very like easy to follow way. There are rooms that are specific for each of the different skills that a player character could utilize within the setting. They are cleverly named like Room of Athletics or Room of Religion because the way that you're intended to solve them is by doing an athletics check or doing a religion check. And there's a battle room. There's a room of short rest. There's a room of long rest. So it is so basic, the approach to it. But it's not meant to be this grand adventure. It is meant to be this really simple way to introduce new players, but also new DMs into... Uh, that first session of D&D. And I think, Matt, didn't you like include a section in there where like, how can you work the tutorial dungeon into like a grander scheme? Didn't you do a little write up on that? Yeah, there's probably a little section in there that just says, yeah, just do it and then connect like the end boss to your big main campaign. So maybe you complete the tutorial dungeon and after completing it, word gets out and uh, you're invited to Fandelvir to or Fandolin or whatever the name of that starter set book is, and then you you get it, get introduced to uh, that plot line from that starter set, or I don't know, maybe they're like, "What do you know about giants?" And then you go and learn about Storm King's Thunder, oh, that yeah, type of that thing. That makes sense. So yeah, rather than adventures springing forth fully formed into the world. Yeah, so there is like a little um, guide. There is a dungeon builder guide to kind of mm-hmm. help you choose like themes and. If you're going to have a little guide that goes with you to provide narration on how the different rooms work and those types of things like that. So it is meant to be pretty 
low on narrative so that you can develop that into whatever campaign is to follow. And uh, once again, for all our listeners that are diving for their debit <laughs> cards, that is Tutorial Dungeon by Matt Keel on the Dungeon Masters Guild. Yes. Thank you so much. And please, please buy it. No, most importantly, though, is I do honestly think that I just want people to have like a good mm-hmm. introduction into D&D. And I think that the starter set is a good version of the game. I think that what's the other starter? The essentials kit is a mm-hmm. better version of the starter set. But I still feel that if you have not listened to a podcast about D&D or watched a Twitch stream, I think there's still questions because I know for a lot of us, especially if you started in D&D about five years ago, you got inspired by Adventure Zone and then you started learning about other D&D podcasts like Critical Role um, or Critical Hit. I guess Critical Role is a Twitch stream. Uh, Critical Hit is one that I listened to for a long time, even before I started playing D&D. So I had this idea of how a DM should operate a D&D game. But if you don't have time for that, this is the book that is there to like help you with that. I think it could be just helpful to have it laid out in front of you as well, rather than sort of trying to infer things from uh, um, an actual play, which uh, actual plays are, are good for that purpose. Sorry. Um, but they're not representative necessarily of actual play, although they're, you know, an actual play podcast yeah, totally. is not the same as sitting around the table with uh, a group of friends live. Yeah. And it, it is totally different and things do go sideways. People have ideas about how things work in their mind. So like within each of those different rooms, I give directions on the intended way to complete a room, but I also have possible like variations on how to handle players that are trying to complete this room in a different way. And it's totally possible to complete rooms in different ways. But I present like, okay, well, if they want to do this, then have them roll this die. Or if they try to do this, then this event happens. So it gives you the ideal version and then it gives you that oh, no, how am I supposed to handle it? And there's some little direction in there um, to help that new deal. Yeah, absolutely. As someone who's looked over it, I mean, I overall, this You didn't here, read it? You just <laughs> looked over it? I, I read it. it. I, a, I looked over it. I'm one of my best friends memory. in the world, my co-host of a podcast that we've been doing for four years. Yeah, I looked over it. I looked over the pictures. I poured... Uh, yeah, you know, they're very nice. Good illustrations. No, I mean... In, in the teaching world, we have we have a, a phrase about being the you know guide on the side versus the sage on the stage, and like this product here, Matt has done a marvelous job of providing a medium for the you know DM to like have new players come in and like guide them through you know here's how you do all the stuff, and it, it it is wonderfully written. Thank you. It is wonderfully I written. I think that's the the biggest impediment to new DMs is um, just feeling overwhelmed by it all. And I personally feel overwhelmed at the beginning of every session I ever DM um, until it starts and then it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, for I, sure. Like, as I say, I think it just keeps going back to the shark thing. You just got to keep it moving uh, or it dies. It comes to a grinding halt and everybody loses interest. 100%. Uh, uh, you just got to keep it moving. If you do something wrong, who's to say you're the DM? You know, if you need to fudge a couple of things just to keep it, keep, keep things moving and not having to just that's what dm you know. screens are for you know yeah you know hiding 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 the fudge exactly both literal and, and figurative keep it moving make sure everybody's having a good time and keep telling the story and don't get too bogged down in crunch and stat block don't worry about it you can't and also you know players <laughs> everything's going to take probably about three times longer than you think it's going to 
And you can't possibly legislate for any, everything players are going to think of. 100% agree with that. And that's with Tutorial Dungeon. There is a plan where it's like, here's your plan. And then it says, if it goes too long, then just start exactly. cutting things. And then you get to the boss room. So yeah. it is meant to be super flexible. And it always seems like it was like that. I always had it planned to be three rooms instead of eight rooms. Exactly. Of course. Exactly. You've just got to have the confidence to pull it off. I think that's the, the main thing. And that's something that's going to always ring true, even if you're DMing for people that have played for 20 years. As the DM, if they were supposed to go right and they went left, but time's running short, well, whatever was on that door on the right, just put it on the door on the yeah, left. They don't 100% know, and agree. it's just going to keep it running. There's no reason to bog down the game. Yeah, unless you show them directly, they don't see how the sausage is made. So mm-hmm. don't, don't worry about it. Right, that's why they keep buying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the, the day, like people are playing for the game and their story and they're not necessarily, I guess it doesn't necessarily always matter how it gets to that point. Mm-hmm. You don't want to take agency away from the players no. because that's one thing that D&D is great at versus like a video game. Video games, you get stuck within the confine of like the rule set. Mm-hmm. D&D, you can explore anywhere and you can kind of do almost anything you want within the setting you also want to have fun and do stuff and sometimes it is about that room originally having four doors and now it just has one door in it what an interesting phenomenon but you sometimes just need to do that to to get to the whole point of the game which is to have fun so matt your entire tutorial dungeon is designed specifically for new players but that leads me to think of um a pretty good topic i want to talk about and that's do you think there are certain adventures, published ones, or even homebrew ones that you just should not run for new players? Is There's different tiers, I feel like, of the type of adventure. Like, we talked about silliness and being serious and expectations, and are you role-playing or are you role-playing with two L's? Sure. But there are definitely some, you know, pre-existing, like, official Wizards of the Coast campaigns that are not going to be a good time for brand new players, because yeah. they're going to die and never want to play again. Mm, for sure. So do you think that's an important, like, and this, once again, it goes for students and for, you know, people that aren't students. How how do you approach that? Do you write your own campaign so it's not going to just run them over? Or do you just put them in you know, Tomb of Annihilation and say, hey, fun? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, interesting fact. I actually am running Tomb of Annihilation with my students at school. It has been one of the worst choices I've ever made as a DM. <laughs> it I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast. I'll abbreviate the story a little bit. I got really obsessed with dinosaurs this summer and the idea of having a campaign with dinosaurs. I could not get it out of my head. So I picked up the book Tomb of Annihilation and I'm like, I can make this work. I can make this work. And then I got into it and I realized, oh no, I done screwed up very, very badly. It has required significant modification of every aspect of the game. If anybody were to evaluate it on accuracy, they would be like, how is Azerac so weak? How did they find all the puzzle cubes so easily? Why do they, why were they able to defeat a zombie Tyrannosaurus Rex where they were only level one? It turns out that I just had to modify things to keep the game moving and to make the game fun. So, but back to your point, if you're not going to like super heavily modify things, I think there are some things that are not great. I don't think Tomb of Annihilation is good for beginners because it's just a little bit too intense in terms of the survival aspect and Mm -hmm. the finding thing aspect. It's just very, very difficult to find all these puzzle cubes and you go places. It's almost a little bit too much of an open world. Josh, what about you? What do you think? 
Uh, let's see. I would have to say Out of the Abyss would be one that I would generally avoid. Um, I did that one one year with a group of kids. Um, kind of the same issue. It's just like, yo, know, you go and you do the start of it. Oh, guess what? You're in you're an underground prison by the drow. And now you have to escape. And now you have to try to get to the surface. And it's huge. It's it's you could go anywhere within that that mm-hmm. space. And it's mm-hmm. it it just it gets to be really big when you're when you only have about an hour to hour and a half with with people. So and it's that huge. One, but they also take all of your stuff. Basically, they do. Like so, it's like how good can you think of your on your feet? I mean, have you watched enough Steve? You know, uh, like what a Bear Grylls or something. No, uh, 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 like Cool Hand Luke and things like that. Have you watched enough like like break out of prison movies to like like figure that out? <laughs> break you know? out yeah, yeah. It's like like and when you have younger kids, it's like where's their point of reference? It's like, well, you're in prison. Well, I guess I'm in prison now. I guess I can't do it. No, no, you're just mistake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Take your society. Oh, but it's um that would be one that I would avoid. Oh yeah, uh, Curse of Strahd because that's just like sandbox. Where where do you end up? Like. Pick a spot. It just kind of drops you in somewhere, and then it's like, discover this horror yeah, over here, or discover very the witch that eats children. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> like it's it's not one that I would start kids off with, so or any Anybody. like beginner. Because yeah. I mean, uh, no one's going to want to play again if they just get killed in the first five minutes and then have to roll. I mean, don't get me wrong, Curse of Strahd is one of my favorite modules. I play it with with more advanced and experienced players. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because advanced and more experienced players have got different wants out of a game. Mm-hmm. Especially if you start with Death House or Murder House. Oh, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm currently running Curse of Strahd with my my friend group at my home. And they, like you said, like I didn't kill them in the first session. They, they managed to survive the Death House. But they, I mean, one of them has died twice and another one of them has died once. And so one of them is on their third character and only two of them are still on their first characters. Oh, my gosh. And had that been their first time playing, had they not already been playing with me for like a couple years? They might, you know, they might have been like discouraged because their character is dead. Maybe they were super invested. But um, I think it it comes down to knowing your group. Like if it's someone that's experienced, like you said, Curse of Strahd might be okay, but you definitely don't want to run that for someone's first time. Mm -mm. Do you think it's best to focus on one shot adventures for somebody's first time? Or if they are interested, just go ahead and get them rolling on a campaign? Um, I think I I like one shots for kind of like starter you know, for people starting out and things like that. And if they like it enough, you could roll into it. I also started people off on like some modules, like my, my favorite ones to start off with are Dragon Heist, Waterdeep Dragon Heist from Wizards and Horde of the Dragon Queen. That one, like you're, you're basically, you're charged with bringing a shipment of something to Greenest. And guess what? You crest the hill and there's a dragon. Like instantly, there's a dragon. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's go. And you don't, you know, it, it's a great one to kind of jumpstart a whole bunch of other campaigns off of. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, d- depending on, you know, where you want to go with it and how much time you want to invest into it and how much time the players want to invest into it, you know, you kind of have to judge that. Here's the thing. Any campaign can become a one shot if yeah, you just true. don't do the whole book. So <laughs> if you just have that first little adventure where they go into the, the cult tomb they have their fun there. They kill the rats. Maybe they kill, defeat the cult leader. And then they were regarded as heroes and employed by the the royal army or something. The end, you did it. But then if they're really interested in carrying on, you can always like proceed into that. But mm-hmm. my, my, always, my presumption is always assume that their first game of D&D is their last game of D&D. Absolutely. So whatever you think is going to be 
the best way to get them like involved in it, then I think that's going to be the thing that works for you. And yeah. sometimes it is a module. Sometimes it's a one shot. Again, the essentials kit has lots of little like single adventures. And yeah, there's the big ice dragon that you have to defeat, but you can do all of the missions. You could just do one of the missions. And I think it ends up being super great. And if you start one campaign, like from a module book, there's nothing that says you have to finish it as, as you know, like I started one off with Dragon Heist and like it was like, okay, they're kind of done with this. Let's let's jump to Curse of Strahd. You kind of get the idea Absolutely. now. Let's let's go into that. And that was a wonderful transition. You can pick and mix, mix and match because yeah. they're more like guidelines than actual rules. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly true. It totally is. They are guidelines. I mean, I like using the Yawning Portal Inn supplement book that has oh, a yeah. bunch of mm-hmm. different classic dungeons. Um, once again, don't jump to the final dungeon in there because that'll kill them. But there, there's a few of them that are really good to use for like a jumping off point. And I used uh, Sunless Citadel, which is one of my favorite ones ever, as they started there. And then I moved mm-hmm. into the Horde of the Dragon Queen campaign. And then we went to Rise of Tiamat. And then they died. But they died two years later, not first session. Exactly. You have the expectations of what the world is like and how deadly D&D can be when you're actually playing. And maybe it's mm-hmm. not like the first session where... You kind of maybe, you know, what do you call it? Uh, Hold some of your punches back, that type of thing. Put the kid gloves on. Yeah, put the kid gloves on. I mean, I I often, and Jeremy knows, um, I'm quite loosey-goosey as a a DM. I like to improv sessions, but that's something you obviously not, if you're a brand new DM, you might not feel comfortable doing. I wouldn't blame you. Um, I've done it quite a lot. Um, So I like to have, but essentially run it as a one shot, like I did for my brother-in-law. So mm-hmm. we'd have a one-shot, keep the, st- keep the stakes fairly low. They're all starting as level one characters. We'll have it in a rural village. Everybody's just impressed that an adventurer has turned up. Sure. Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, sir, some mighty fancy armor you've got on there. Let me buy you a pint. We've arrived just in time for the annual turnip festival. Mm-hmm. And then we'd had, there might be a bad roller up, says somebody does the wrong thing, town's very busy. And then we'd have something like a wagon race. Everybody gets on board the wagon. One person's driving it, and we'd have them doing animal handling checks, say. You've got another wagon approaching and trying to ram you off the road. Have somebody else throwing rocks at them and doing stuff like that. Stakes, relative, relatively speaking, in terms of like a global campaign setting, are extremely low. But mm-hmm. it, in, in relation to the people that they're competing against, they're made to feel strong and powerful and really good about themselves. And yeah, for sure. They want to come, come back and play again. They go to the big city and find out they're maybe not quite such big fish. Yeah. But by that point, you've hook them and want, want to come, come back and play that character again, sort of thing. Um, exactly. Got to hook them. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's my advice. Yeah, it's just keep, keep it fairly low stakes to make them feel good about themselves as level one characters and don't just squish them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and say, this is a cruel, hard world. You're going to get squished by everything you come across. Well, I think it's about balance because sometimes level one characters aren't, I mean, it's, it sounds like it would be the opposite, but aren't really that good for brand new players because they might die because someone critted on them once. Or... They don't really have all these cool spells. They're not really the class they imagined in their head when they thought they'd be playing a wizard until they hit mm-hmm. like level three. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're going to provide them with pre-made characters or if you're going to give them like quasi pre-made characters, like maybe you let them pick the, maybe you just let them roll the stats and you already had the class and subclass picked out for them. Sure. Mm-hmm. But starting them at level three, they got a couple spells. They, they, they really look more like that character they might've imagined when they thought they were playing a paladin or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and then, like I said, you don't want to like in, in Horde of the Dragon Queen, you run into some rats, and if they crit, you die. You die outright. It'll be your max health plus your remaining health. And that's going to really make someone never want to play Dungeons & Dragons again when the rats kill them <laughs> two seconds in. 
So yeah, there's no quick I, know, I feel like it's just like a balance. It, it really depends on how, like you said, how much time you have. Do we have time to build our own characters or is it just something like, throw them a character sheet and you know help them out as you go as long as you've got enough notice i think it's not it's it doesn't hurt to give your players a little bit of homework to at least come up with some character ideas you know like what kind of thing do you want to do and then as long as you've got the time to either guide them through the character creation process or outright create a character for them depending on their degree of familiarity or comfort with with the process sure mm-hmm. um then yeah that's that's the way to do it really yeah, so one thing that I do, because I'm not a huge fan of zero sessions with brand new players, mm. older players who want to take the time, and that's part of the fun of the activity, cool, awesome. But one thing that I'll do is I often have like a single question, and that's sort of like your narrative building zero question. So for example, it might be, why did you get invited to try out for this guild? Or how did you impress the king you know, in your life, that type of thing like that. Mm -hmm. So then they get to have like this little narrative thing where it's like, oh, I saved the king from an assassin or I lifted the most rocks and the king was impressed by how strong I was. And then it gives like like a little bit of an idea of like, oh, what that character's vibe is and why they're they're there. Um, So they get a little bit of character building. It's not this huge narrative dump, um, that type of thing. It kind of maybe tries to ground them at least a little bit in that world. Um, But it's not so much of a backstory where it's like, oh yeah, I slayed... 100,000 necromancers, and you're like, well, this is a world that doesn't have necromancers in it. I guess not anymore or something like that. It doesn't fit the story. That's because I slayed all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. I like that. And that's an expectation with new players, too, because they will be like, oh, I'm the I'm a dragon slayer. I come around, my family's been slaying all these dragons, and I slayed my first dragon when I was 12, and you're like, yeah, but you didn't, though. But you didn't. I mean, maybe it was like a baby drake. It was an alligator that your parents told you was a dragon you're kind of a phone well and, and to get back to that level one versus starting at level like a higher level like three or five you know i always found that to be quite true like starting off at level one you're supposed to choose your backstory and things like that and i'll just go with fighter mm. like one of the things is like you are a, a veteran of a war of some mm-hmm. sort and you you don't have anything besides guess what i'm gonna like rally my constitution and like Hit him again. <laughs> you know, I'm going to accent should surge. I'm a war stuff. veteran with 10 hit points. Exactly. And it's kind of like, mm, that's that, you know, that just seems off to me. So, yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of starting them a little bit, you know, level three, level five. Used to be level three. And then I took an arrow in the knee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and I think this really gets back to when you're running that first session as a dungeon master, and if you're new, this could be really difficult, but looking at what could potentially go wrong with that first, your first session because your characters are so squishy. So try to like balance your, your battles correctly. You know, if the book says, oh, the characters will fight six rats, maybe it's three rats. Or if they fight it with pack tactics, maybe they're conveniently not fighting with pack tactics anymore. So sometimes you got to like scale things on the fly to the party that you're with, because oftentimes like what happens with my students at school, hopefully this doesn't happen with your friend group. I'll end up with a party with three wizards in it. And I don't have time to convince somebody not to be a wizard because they already had their heart set on it. So like, but now we have a campaign that has three wizards in it. So now the battles have to get scaled so that there's this level of survivability. Yeah. So as a DM, do not be afraid to adjust things on the fly. I don't think it's this. This is my personal opinion. 
it's not cheating if it helps the characters. If you mm-hmm. cheat so, like, you could crit on a player character, you're a jerk. But if you're doing things to, like, like fudge the rules just a little bit, especially at the beginning, to make sure that they have a cool experience, mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, the amount of monsters that I have uh, been in combat that have just m- f- completely forgotten that they have a second attack. Um, yeah, I've, I've lost, it's pretty I've lost count of. And play, players nine times out of ten aren't going to know the difference one way or the other. So no, as long, they won't. You know, as long as everybody's having a good time, I think that's the important thing. It shouldn't be a competition or point scoring, mm-hmm. unless yeah. that's what you're role playing some kind of point scoring competition. Um, but yeah, if the- your first game of D and D is DM versus player characters, then you might want to get out of. You're the, doing it wrong. Yeah, the game. Exactly. Yeah. There's other video games out there that are, mm-hmm. you know, highly competitive with mortified rule sets, that type of thing, like that. Yeah, you may if- not be interested in a story collaboration building game. You might want something that's like a civilization or something like yeah, that. Yeah, first first session is uh, tutorial mode. Mm-hmm. Exactly, <laughs> not survival mode. <laughs> no. the important distinction. So, unfortunately, we do not have a school bell to let us know when the day's almost over, but we are running out of time. So, could the three of you, um, do you have just any last bit of information that you'd like to share with our listeners? And then, can you also remind them uh, who you are and where they can find you and check out all the cool stuff you're working on? Definitely. Josh, go for it. Yeah, uh, I would probably just leave with the, you know, a little factoid of... Uh, You'll remember why you're doing it, and it's to have fun. I mean, if if you're doing it, it's not fun. Why do it at all? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, and and should be fun for you, but it's you know fun for your players as well. So, yeah, just relax and you know enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you're having fun, then your players will be having fun, and most importantly, also just remember, as like teachers and DMs, like sometimes we're always thinking about our students and how do we make this experience great for our students. But, you know, like in the teacher world, like we also have to worry about ourselves too. We want to make sure that the experience is a good experience for Mm -hmm. the teacher as well. So, and when that happens, then the whole education experience is better for both student and Mm -hmm. teacher. And I think the same thing happens within D and D. If the players are having fun and you're having a miserable time, you can only sustain that type of gameplay for so long. So you want to make sure that everybody's having fun at the table, including yourself. They'll note this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, exactly I think if I was going to say anything as my last words it's again just to draw it back to the shark thing first session keep it moving um, otherwise it'll just come to a screeching halt and nobody will know what's going on and everyone gets barred just keep keep it moving if you need to fudge something that's why you've got a DM screen uh, and don't beat yourself up about it and as a final note about the school bell as my teachers used to say the bell is for me not for you <laughs> Josh where can our listeners find you at if they want to see all the stuff you're working on yeah, well, uh, they could check us out on iTunes or any of their uh, fine pod catchers uh, at Detentions of Dragons. Uh, they could also uh, contact us on Twitter at Detentions Pod, or they can message me at Professor Olaf. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, and uh, we have an email handle, uh, Detentions of Dragons at gmail.com. And Matt, where can we find you? You can find me, I guess, on Twitter. I don't like social media, but I think Matt M. Keel, K U E H L. On Twitter, I'm somewhere there. Otherwise, just message Josh or send us an email. You can contact me. If you want to purchase Tutorial Dungeon, you can check that out on the DMs Guild, and I would super appreciate that. And then if you have questions about how to run that, you can always uh, send me a message through that, and I can give you some tips and tricks that way too. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. 
Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for having it's us. Well, thanks for having us. It was a blast. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. Do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview? Or perhaps there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the show. We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to dicetalkpod.com. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to MajesticGoose.com, where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to DiceTalkShow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts and get our name out there. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel about the show, and it really is the best way you can support us right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Honk. Honk.